Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in South Bend, Indiana, and across from me, sitting in his home studio in Portland, Oregon, is the original host of ESPN's Sports Center, the man who coined the phrase, count it, not one, not two, but three points, baby. The man we know, <laughs> belovedly, as Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. Hey, Ken. How you doing, man? I am, I am well. ESPN. That's so funny. Because <laughs> I'm not much of a sports watcher. So. I was going <laughs> to say it. That. You know, all the one of my more creative moments, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, in all the conversations we've had, I, I, I don't know that we've ever talked much about sports over the years because I, I don't think of you as much of a sports fan. I think of you as a, a guy who's busy in, in prayer and teaching. You know, no, no time for that, uh, for those frivolities, right? (laughs) (laughs) And yet, of course, you know, if you think about it, the great Pope John Paul II was himself a, you know, a hiker. And, and he, I remember that memorable moment from, um, uh, uh, when he was in St. Louis there sitting with the young people in St. Louis uh, with a hockey stick. And for some reason, that just is one of those iconic images. So, of course, obviously, we've had several, you know, over the years, uh, uh, saints who have been affiliated with sports. Uh, and probably you, Deacon, when you uh, eventually take up your, your career in uh, what would be, if you were to actually do a sport, what would be yours? Oh, that's, that's, let's see, probably... Uh, well, I was a wrestler in high school. Uh-huh. So enjoy wrestling. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, one thing I cannot do is that ski jumping thing. <laughs> you know, because whenever I think, first of all, who who's insane enough to go down the, you know, go down at about, what, 40 miles an hour, jump up the thing on the air like that and, and just on skis? No. I think <laughs> I remember well, uh, Wide World of Sports in the beginning. Oh, yeah. The guy, I mean, that's me. He got to the bottom <laughs> of the thing. He goes, "What the heck am I doing?" And he just failed. Man. That's <laughs> that would totally be me. That man. would be you, the guy, the guy crashing. The agony of defeat is uh, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. <laughs> that, that's it. That's I it. love it. I love it. Well, it's good to see you. Uh, you know, here at Notre Dame, uh, the students arrived back last week. We started school. And so uh, we are underway. The uh, the the 2021-22 academic year has begun. So uh, all this, uh, all the, the summer is now behind us. So um, how about uh, how about at your house? Is everybody back in and, and back to school now? Or do we have a little Yeah, time? yeah. We're, we're actually kind of empty nesters now because Angela's back for her last year of college. And uh, Sophia's starting her freshman year. And Benjamin's also starting uh, culinary school. And, and, both, and both of the twins are both in New York. And uh, so it's me and Colleen. And, you know, sadly, we had to put our dog down as well. You know, oh, so we I'm don't have the so... dog anymore. Yeah, he's, oh. his legs stopped working and he has uh, kidney failure and just uh, just wasn't good, you know. And so, but Claire is here, but Claire's working now. So, so it's basically just just me and Colleen. And, you know, wow. The, the so, yeah, hold, it's just strange. It's just so quiet. <laughs> And the house, now, you know, it's gonna take that's gonna take some getting used to. How long 
I mean, so what's the spread of your, your children's ages? Like how old is your oldest child? Uh, Claire's 23. So Angela's 21 and the twins are 18. So you had kids in your house for 23 years, you and the the lovely Colleen. And now here you are just Harold and Colleen hanging out, you know, watching your stories and, uh, uh, you know, that kind of stuff in the evenings then, huh? That's what a, what a change in life. And yet so many people kind of, you know, so many families obviously go through that, uh, uh, this is a, this is new uncharted territory for you, huh? Yeah, it is. It's, it's a, it's a very strange feeling. And, uh, you know, and, and I started, you know, started doing some traveling again too. So, so as you come home, it's like, where is everybody? It's like, oh yeah, right. they're not here now. You know, it's just, it's going to take some getting used to, you know, but, uh, you know, maybe it's a new, uh, a chance for a new beginning for Colleen and myself as well, you know, spending more time together and those, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Wow. New new phase. New phase in new life. New phase. Well, and I'm terribly sorry to hear about your your dog's passing. I mean, that's you know, pets are one of those things. I know you know Julie and I, since we don't have children, you know, come home and there's always always two golden retrievers wagging their tails at full speed. You know, happy to see us. So, yeah, that's uh, um, pets become part of our families too. You know, and they're they're beloved companions too. So sorry so to hear true. that. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. St. Francis, I, I pray that St. Francis, patron of, of pets, intercedes for you and in, in your consolation in this, too. So, uh, Thank you, Ken. Appreciate that. Well, you know, Deacon, we have been having this marvelous conversation over these past number of weeks about the gospel of life, a wonderful encyclical by Pope St. John Paul II, written in 1995. And uh, we've been, we're, we're nearing the end of our conversation, really, about this. It's We've obviously been having great chat, but uh, we're building up to the crescendo, and we're in the fourth kind of main chapter, and this section is all about serving the gospel of life. So we're going to pick up our conversation tonight with uh, uh, paragraph 88, and you know, as we were talking last week, kind of the lead-in, again, this whole section is on how do we serve the gospel of life? We talked about, um, last week we ended with that wonderful quotation that uh, that the Holy Father writes from St. John Chrysostom, in which he says, do you wish to honor the body of Christ? Do not neglect it when you find it naked. So this is really concretizing it. It's, It's the idea of we need to serve the people around us that we see suffering and in pain. That's how we literally build the culture of life by being a pro-life people who celebrate and serve those around us who are in need. So that's where we pick up the conversation tonight. Yeah. And uh, in paragraph 88, he talks about now different branches and spheres, which we can promote this culture of life. He talks about the work of education, mm-hmm. you know, um, and encouraging to bear one another's burdens. He talks about the vocations to service, you know, as ways of promoting the, the, the uh, gospel of life and uh, uh, long term practical projects and initiatives inspired by the gospel. Yeah. You know? So, it's, again, very general terms, but that's really good because that allows for creativity. You know, I love how the Holy Father just, you know, these these are some general principles and then leaves it up to the body of Christ to use their uh, creative um, influence, okay, you know, guided by the Holy Spirit, to determine the best way and to bring forth or how what's the best way to educate people about the culture of life. For example, the, the Nicholas Center, right, for ethics and culture at Notre Dame is a perfect example 
of one of the ways that we can live that out. And also the, a parish group that sits around and talks about documents like this and then, and then goes out and you know prays in front of the uh, abortion facilities. You know, the vocations to service. How do we serve a culture of life? So it's, it's also would include, of course, things like St. Vincent de Paul. Right. right. You know, uh, helping those who are poor, like as, as you were just saying. And of course, projects and initiatives, practical things that we can do, um, educating um, uh, catechists, you know, like those coming into RCIA. How do we explain to them a culture of life, especially if they're coming from a cultural context where um, they really have no idea or never really thought about what a culture of life is? Yeah. You know, how how yeah. do we. How do we get these concepts across to them so that they become part of their their ethos, right? Part of their mindset and the way they they think about life. That's such a great point. Is that what what's that phrase? Nobody has to do everything, but everybody can do something. And uh, and and the Holy Father really actually kind of builds on that. And like you said, he has general principles, but then he does get a little concrete here and gives some some suggestions. So he he says. You know, we might uh, we need to develop um, centers for natural methods of regulating fertility. How do we teach natural family planning? How do we teach the principles of kind of pro-life approach to reproduction and and to love and sexuality? How do we um, we need to build centers to support marriage and family counseling? I know in your family you actually have a family counselor. You have a counselor, you know that you that you're married to, and then of course I know you help do marriage prep and and things like that too so gosh the uh, the burke sivers family is a living example of this of this paragraph <laughs> there um uh he also talks about um you know supporting newborn life uh kind of young uh, you know of course problem pregnancies and challenge challenges and things like that he encourages people just like he encourages people to respond to their with their vocation with their expertise you know and so if you're a person who has certain talents, a certain set of skills, as Liam Neeson might say, you know, then the Holy Father encourages you to respond in a way that can build a culture of life through your own expertise. If you're a counselor, if you're a doctor, if you're a social service worker, all of these are great ways to, again, promote life. And then it goes beyond just what we think of as kind of those areas often that are devoted just to Catholic, straight kind of Catholic teaching. Also, community centers for treating drug addiction, residential communities for minors and the mentally ill, care and relief centers for AIDS patients. Of course, he's writing this in 1995 when the AIDS crisis was very prevalent and it was something that we were still learning how to respond to. Now we're blessed with the wonders of, of science and technology. A lot of people who have AIDS are living rich, full lives because of the, the wonders of, of science being able to maintain their, their immune system. So perhaps AIDS isn't the, the biggest challenge right now, but is there a disease or, or I don't know, maybe a pandemic that we can put our expertise to, to help care for people who are in need? So I think these are wonderful kind of uh, suggestions, but again, they're building from the general to give examples and then encourage us to respond to the situation in our day and in our neighborhood where we live. Yeah, there's no no question about it. And, you know, I, I'm thinking particularly about the homeless problem, too, you know. Uh, sure. More resources toward mental illness, I think, definitely needs to be something that can be done, you know. And, and quite frankly, I didn't really have much of an appreciation uh, of that whole situation until, 
you know, my law enforcement experience and then working in St. Vincent de Paul and just and then just driving around Portland, seeing the situation here, you know, um, I, we definitely need to be doing more. And, uh, and I think we talked about this before. It's not just giving them things. You know, um, we need to get them off of the street. You know, I mean, to, to, to give them an opportunity to uh, to get through whatever mental issues that they're dealing with so they can have rich lives, so they can have fuller lives. Right. You know, and that's something that should be, we definitely should be working toward. And the Holy Father also goes on to talk about the elderly and the terminally mm-hmm. ill. That is definitely an issue today with oh, things yes. like assisted suicide and euthanasia. You know, palliative care. How are we taking care of, of our of our parents? Do we just stick them in a nursing home or assisted living community and and just kind of forget about them? What about parishioners, long serving parishioners who contribute to the life of the parish, who are now in their golden years and and they're living in these communities, which are often doing a, a wonderful job, but then they don't feel like part of the parish. What are we doing to reach out to them? Right. You know, and right. It, so there's this this tremendous opportunity here. Um, in, in many different ways to to really promote and to build a culture of life. You know, and if you think about the this paragraph, where has he gone? Right, he's he's talked about care for you know children in the womb, for families that are that are creating families, children in the womb, newborns, um, young people who uh, maybe uh, not just young people, but everybody who might be addicted to, you know, have addictions, uh, those who are suffering from uh, disease, the mentally ill and the elderly, all the entire spectrum of life is in every different part of life. We can build a culture of life. And that's what the Holy Father is encouraging us to do. And I love how he ends this paragraph too. He says, because he's, he kind of delivers a specific message for those who are in healthcare and for and in caring. He says, in particular, the role of hospitals, clinics, and convalescent homes needs to be reconsidered. These should not merely be institutions where care is provided for the sick or dying. Above all, they should be places where suffering, pain, and death are acknowledged and understood in their human and specifically Christian meaning. This must be especially evident and effective in institutes staffed by religious or in any way connected with the church. Here he's speaking about the vocation of Catholic healthcare and of Catholic healthcare workers. We need to not just care for people in a random way or in in a way that anybody could, but to do so in a way that is born out of our Christian witness and encourages those and walks with those who are themselves suffering to understand their suffering and to begin to think about it as uniting, united with the suffering of Christ, that specifically Christian meaning. And I love that he's calling us to remember that in this context. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he con- continues beautifully in the next paragraph, 89, where he starts talking about the medical professionals. Mm-hmm. You know, this is extremely important today. I mean, obviously it's 1995, but now, um, he, for example, he says biomedical research must always reject experimentation, research, or application which disregard the inviolable dignity of the human being. So yes. things like in vitro fertilization, fetal stem cell research, you know, the, all the controversies now, which quite frankly is even dividing people in the church over the COVID-19 vaccine. Right. right. You know, um, obviously Moderna and uh, the Johnson & Johnson are created directly from embryos. 
So I, I, I don't see any justification for, for using those. But even with the uh, Pfizer Moderna, which were not derived from uh, embryos or, or fetal cells at all, but um, when to, to test the potency of the vaccine, they used um, stem cell lines that were developed from the late 60s and early 70s were, that were actually developed for, um, for uh, vaccines for rubella. You know, had nothing to do with, you know, flu or COVID or anything like that. But but still, you know, even though the church says that that's um, remote material cooperation, not formal cooperation with evil, there are even many in the church, including bishops, who've come out and said that even the testing of the virus on the cell should, you know, should preclude us from uh, from you from using the vaccine at all, any of them. You know, yeah. so so this this is this is something that's um, uh, 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 an important issue. Um, it goes to things like the formation of conscience. In, in fact, conscience is objection. Um, and e- but even then, we're even seeing now. Um, I, I, in fact, I, this is kind of sticking with me now because it's a, a really good friend of mine who's a medical professional who just heard this past week or so that their um, employer is giving everybody uh, till the end of September to get the vaccine or else they have to find new employment. So they're making it a condition of employment to be va- to be vaccinated. So he has a religious objection. And so they allow for that, interestingly enough. But the bishop where he is issued a letter um, not allowing conscientious objection, religious objection. He said no priest is to sign anything that, you know, for, for anyone that allows for uh, uh, conscientious objection against the vaccine. I'm like, wow, that seems to me to be going against the, for, you know, proper conscious formation and violating a, a well-formed conscience, you know? So it's just, I mean, this whole thing is a landmine, spiritual yeah. uh, landmine right now. And the fact that John Paul II even recognized some of this in the 90s, and it still has import today. Um, this, these, these are very important issues of life that we need to, to continue to work through. Absolutely. And this, I mean, yeah, the, the timeliness of, of a document that's now 25 years old. Uh, again, this shows the wisdom of the saints, quite literally, with John Paul II, but it also invites our constant reading, reflection, prayer, and then guidance. You know, we need guidance of the of the magisterium. We need the guidance of the, you know, kind of experts. And then we need to to pray and then also to to properly form our conscience, ultimately. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned it shows the importance of forming our consciences. This, uh, I mean, yeah, in this in this paragraph 89, you know, he says unique responsibility belongs to healthcare personnel. Um, their profession calls for them to be guardians and servants of human life, and that's ultimately, you know, not just them. We all need to be guardians and servants of human life, but those who that's their day job, they need to be particularly conscious of their responsibility to serve and guard human life. Um, so then yeah, paragraph, that, well, that's, oh, that, that's important too, especially these days when, um, you know, in some States, when you bring your child to the hospital or even for a physical checkup and the doctors are trying to promote birth control and things like that on your children, right. and they won't even tell you that, you know, yeah. the, the child has to get permission for, I mean, this is under 18 now, wow. you know, the child has to get permission for the parent 
to for them to disclose anything that was discussed during that. I mean, I, I don't want my 14 or 15 year old daughter going into a for just, you know, a, a, a girl exam and then, and then having a doctor talk to her about contraceptives, and IUDs, and all that kind of stuff, which he, you know, and even introducing her to those concepts, that's that should not be anything that a doctor is talking to our children about, especially without our knowledge or consent. You know, so yeah. so these are why we have to stand up uh, to this or else if we don't, if we don't do the things that we're discussing that John Paul II is suggesting and recommending to build a culture of life, this culture is going to run roughshod over us and things are going to laws are going to be passed and procedures are going to happen. They're going to uh, strongly violate um, our belief as people of faith. And it's already happening. So we cannot stay silent on these issues. Well, and that's exactly what he goes on to talk about here in this next paragraph, speaking about the importance of pursuing political means to defend and promote the value of life in pluralistic society. Because as you're rightly pointing out, the personal conscience of, of every individual Christian um, must not, we, we can't give in but we need to actually move to reestablish what he calls a just order in the defense and promotion of the value of life. We need to promote pro-family policies. Those must be the basis and driving force of every social policy, as he goes on here. As he says, in a democratic system where laws and decisions are made on the basis of the consensus of many, the sense of personal responsibility in the consciences of individuals invested with authority may be weakened. But no one can ever renounce this responsibility, especially when he or she has a legislative or decision-making mandate, which calls that person to answer to God, to his or her own conscience, and to the whole of society for choices which may be contrary to the common good. Golly, I wish more Catholic politicians would read this paragraph and reflect on it and pray with it, especially those who have important, you know, maybe legislative or executive decision-making authority. As he says, they will they are called to answer to God, to his or her own conscience, and to the whole of society for these choices which may be contrary to the common good. And yeah, the common good versus popular opinion. Right. That that's the distinction that needs to be made there. Um, you know, because most politicians are vying for popular opinion. You know, and, yes. and look, what did you say? You already received your reward. You know, they're going to be looking for some eternal reward. Jesus, you already got it. You got all the accolades. You got all the votes. You got all the stuff. And uh, that's as far as it's going to go. You know, so, yeah. so you're absolutely yeah. right. You know, they, they, they have to remember that they're answerable, not just to their constituents on, on earth, but to God uh, in heaven as well. That, yeah. That's a huge responsibility. Well, and I love, so this is such a powerful paragraph. Paragraph 90 is is amazing. Just, I mean, we could spend an entire show just talking about this. Um, he says, certain that moral truth cannot fail to make its presence deeply felt in every conscience. The church encourages political leaders, starting with those who are Christians, not to give in, but to make those choices which, taking into account what is realistically attainable, will lead to the reestablishment of a just order in the defense and promotion of the value of life. And he says the underlying causes of attacks on life have to be eliminated, especially by ensuring proper support for families and motherhood. And again, as I mentioned before, the family policies have to be the basis and driving force of all social policies. Um, 
He says, for this reason, there need to be set in place social and political initiatives capable of guaranteeing conditions of true freedom of choice in matters of parenthood. It is also necessary to rethink labor, urban, residential, and social service policies so as to harmonize working schedules with time available for the family so that it becomes effectively possible to take care of children and the elderly. I mean, this is a call for a radical reconstruction of of everything from the way we work, our working hours, to, you know, to how we build our cities, to transportation policy, to, you know, everything that we need, to wages, all of these sorts of things. Wow, you could read this and be like, wow, that the, he's, he's a bit of a, what we might call a socialist. Well, guess what? So was the early church, and so should we be, <laughs> to support families, to support those who are most vulnerable, absolutely, because it is when we serve the poor that we are serving Christ. That's what he tells us in the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah, a couple of short uh, thoughts here. It says to um, ensuring the proper support of families and motherhood, which means that we have to support marriage between um, one man and one woman, because absolutely. the word marriage, matrimony itself, um, you know, uh, matri is uh, derivative of the word mater, means mother. And monium is a state or condition of something. So literally, motherhood means the state or con- uh, 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 matrimony means the state or condition of motherhood. Right. <laughs> right? And so, wow. so you're supporting marriage, you're supporting motherhood. And the second thought here is just um, about harmonizing work schedules, time available for the family. We've seen some, actually COVID, that's a byproduct of COVID-19, interestingly enough, because people are able to work from home right. using Zoom or whatever technologies that they're using. To be and, and so you know a lot of I know a lot of offices that have decided not to bring people back to the office to pay all that overhead just have people work at home it's a win win yeah they, they they get productive employees that are still able to get the work done they save money from electricity and you know uh, all the things that they pay for a building and the people are happy because they get more time at home with their families so now we just see now, some of this happening yeah now we just need to figure out how do we extend that that support and that level of support to those whose jobs don't allow, you know, kind of remote yeah, work and things right. like that. So that's we have the next to challenge. bring that justice, you know, and, and that uh, kind of equity in a way that, that supports, that supports families, you know, and that's the, that's the challenge and the invitation that uh, the Holy Father issues. But Deacon, we're going to have to pick up this conversation next week, because as usual, once you start reading John Paul II, you realize it's so much good stuff that how, how could we possibly do it justice? But we want you to be reading along with us, folks. So connect with us on our Facebook page. Go to Living Stones Media on Facebook. Uh, we have a link there to the document itself. You can also download previous episodes of the show to catch up by going to moderndayradio.com. But uh, Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing? And may Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.